0: thirty p.m. A body was recovered from the Red River near the Alexander. An Ontario Docks. woman says her father committed brutal murders and buried the bodies.
1: An Amber Alert is still
0: in effect in parts of Canada for a two-year-old girl who authorities believe was abducted from her
1: home around. What about that city? Made it possible for
0: for six serial killers to be operating in that Millions town. Millions of dollars worth of maple syrup has been siphoned off from storage in Quebec, with the crime covered up. Those to men
1: have planned for a year to find the used Dodge 3500 pickup truck through online classifieds. You ever been interviewed by the police in a in a room like this before? Hi, and welcome to True North Crime. I'm Rachel. I'm Shelley. And this is a podcast where we discuss Canadian crime and law. Yep. <laughs> Educating the public through case law. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. and, and, ourselves. Our, and, and, and ourselves.
0: And our, And we're morbidly fascinated but, with yeah. crime. Yes. So that, it really goes all together. It does. Intellectual, you know, and, and bloody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Intellectual and bloody. <laughs> just, just saying.
0: Are you ready for today's murderer? I think we actually have to also preface this with... We aren't lawyers.
1: No, we're not lawyers. We are not <laughs>
0: here to offer any type of advice for <laughs> law whatsoever no, or murder. Don't listen to us. <laughs> don't. <laughs> Just not our thing. No.
1: Nope. Nope.
0: Okay. So who who do we have? Well, anyway, how
1: are you doing anyway? I'm doing okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was busy earlier today. Yeah, so a little hectic. Yeah. But everything's everything's great.
0: Yeah, you're not gonna be rushed in
1: this? No.
0: Okay. No. Because we we should take our time.
1: We should. Well, there's a lot to go over here oh, with Okay. this guy. So. All right. Speaking of, so who is our guy? Okay. So today we're going to talk about Michael Wayne McGray. Okay. I might okay. mispronounce his name as Gary. McGray? <laughs> McGray. What do yes. you call him? McGarry? No, just <laughs> Gary. Just, my eyes Gary? are like passing quickly <laughs> over the words on my screen here. Oh, okay. Um, Yes, so Michael Wayne McRae, once boasted he was uh, Canada's worst serial killer. Oh. This is before Robert Picton. Was he from London? He's not from London. He was actually. <laughs> just FYI to the audience, London was the Canada's, actually the world's the world. serial
0: killer capital yeah. of the world from like 1968 to 1986 <laughs> or something like that. So that's where that comes from. Yeah. So if I'm just making London references all the time, it's <laughs> because. That's that's generally. It's actually the Guelph, London, Cambridge area, area. in general. Okay.
1: Uh, no, McGray uh, wasn't from London. He was born in Collingwood. Really? Yeah.
0: Okay, full disclosure, I live in Collingwood.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he was born there, but his family moved to either Argyle or Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. What year was he born in? I don't know. Okay. He was born, I think, at the end of the 60s. hmm. I think. I'm making that up. I don't know when he was born. Okay. (laughs) We might look that up later. (laughs) So, McGray was convicted of seven homicides, but claims to have committed 11 more in Canada and the U.S. between 1985 and 1998. Oh. Yeah. So, as I said, born in Collingwood, moved to Nova Scotia as a child. Mm -hmm. Uh, And according to him, he was beaten by his alcoholic father and was physically and sexually abused at various reform schools and group homes. Okay. Uh, He was eventually kicked out of home, and by age 16, he was out on his own full of rage, and fascinated by serial killers. Well,
0: that's most of us. That's a lot of us. Except for, yeah, I'm not (laughs) full of rage, though. No. No. Well,
1: whatever teen angst we did harbor, we've since... Yeah,
0: when I was 16, I right. wasn't even full of rage. I was raving. <laughs> but
1: not full not. of
0: rave. Full of rave, but not full of <laughs> rage. <laughs> <laughs> I got my angst out in a different they way.
1: <laughs> so McGray was a drifter for many years, and he was in and out of prison. Uh, at one point, while out, out on parole, he just took off and disappeared for a whole year. Uh, this prompted the parole board to issue a statement about him saying he, quote, clearly indicated a serious breach of trust and a blatant disregard for conditions of release. Well,
0: no shit. <laughs> <Duh>. <laughs> like, like, how long did it take them to do that? Like, a week, a month, <laughs> like, like, like the full year had passed? And they're like, oh, time to write this up, guys. It's like, <laughs> what, what happened? Like, who's to lift up on
1: that? I, I don't know. Or maybe know. it's just the way that it was written or something in your research. Well, or? Keep keep that in mind file that one away because it's it'll come up again okay okay so one morning in 1998 Moncton police received a tip about a murder the tipster was a man named Glenn Bennett and he says he witnessed a murder and was too horrified to do anything about it at the time Bennett led the cops to the apartment of Joan Hicks and her 11 year old daughter Nina Joan was found lying in the hallway near the bathroom, having been strangled and then stabbed. But Nina was nowhere to be found. That is until police looked in the closet and found her hanging in the closet. Like, she had hung herself? Or they had, like, meat-hooked her? No, they believe that she had been smothered and then strung up in the closet. Oh. Yeah. Pretty awful. Joan and Nina had only been in Moncton a few months, having moved there from Newfoundland. And the reason they moved to Moncton is because Joan was interested in pursuing a relationship with a man named Aubrey Sparks. Sparks, at this time, was incarcerated at Dorchester Penitentiary for killing his wife. Wow. Yes. Wait, so she was like a pen pal with him? She and was then... a pen pal. Yeah, so in Newfoundland, uh, she wrote to prison inmates. Yes, I understand Or that. something along those lines. Or she had a friend who was incarcerated. <clears throat> anyway, she... Uh, wrote to him at the very least and he said that he knew other people on the inside who needed some kind of contact or communication with people on the outside so there is a certain amount of sad irony in this a little bit yes actually a lot of it a lot of sad irony um little side note here about dorchester dorchester is about a half uh hour's drive from Moncton, and it's now an airbnb really yes (laughs) The prison closed a few years ago, and a guy from Toronto bought it, and, and he's turned it into, I mean, not all the cells, We but should do, like, a
0: cross-country prison tour, because really, there, there's yes. a ton, um, FYI to our audience out there, there is a ton of old, old prisons. prisons that have been converted into hostels, and, well, now an Airbnb, yeah. so. Museums, mm-hmm. in some cases, yeah, mm-hmm. and then
1: this Airbnb. I don't think I'd want to-
0: like, again, like, I, this is one thing where you love horror movies and I'm scared of them. And this isn't a horror movie thing. I know, but still, like, it just it sounds like the beginning of one. Hey, we were
1: staying in this no, old prison. Those and... are <laughs> asylums, abandoned asylums. Oh, sorry. That, yeah, come on. Okay, like, sorry. All right. Anyway, sorry, continue. <laughs> um, yeah, so where was I? Uh, when Joan. Uh... Strung up in the yes, closet. Yes, okay. So when Joan and Nina first arrived in Moncton, they stayed at a shelter before they got settled into an apartment. At the shelter, they met a woman named Tammy McLean. And after the move, Tammy and her boyfriend Michael McGray would come around and visit. One night, Tammy called up Joan. She was very upset, and she was having problems with Michael. And Joan told her to come over. Meanwhile, that same night, and his buddy uh, Glenn Bennett were busy mainlining coke. McGray got in- increasingly wound up. And he felt like he just had to kill somebody, anyone, he didn't <clears throat> care who. Uh, and the story breaks down here a little bit um, because they're different, although not necessarily conflicting versions of events. So they're just, how, how are you going to go into how they're conflicting? Yeah, different? if you wouldn't interrupt me. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus. Get there. Just... Uh, okay, so in one <laughs> version, <laughs> McGray and Bennett drive around looking for a victim Right. Uh, when they they fail to find one they just head over to jones apartment in another version mcgray and bennett head straight over to jones place when whose they- version was whose do we know uh no okay these are just this comes from different uh, sources source well yeah like different newspapers and stuff okay um but when they get there tammy leaves uh, a tab a cab comes to pick her up and the cabbie remembers seeing a woman and a man at the building's entrance And if this woman is Joan, then this taxi driver is the last person to have seen her alive. After tipping off the police to the grisly scene at Joan's apartment, Bennett then led the cops to McGray, who was promptly arrested for double homicide. McGray fully admits to murdering Joan, but he says he didn't kill Nina because, quote, he would never hurt a child. Nobody really buys this, and the suspicion is McGray won't admit to killing Nina because of how child murderers are treated in prison. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, the Crown proceeds with first-degree murder, conviction of Joan, uh, but stays prosecution in Nina's case. Okay. So that one's not going to go to trial necessarily.
0: Um, is that because they just didn't have enough
1: to support it? Like, why would that be stayed? Uh... Yeah, it doesn't really say why. I think because he just he won't admit to doing it, and maybe there just isn't a lot of evidence. Okay. Um, it doesn't. I don't have a lot of details. So basically, on that. his
0: confession is what you know is going to then lead char- to charges, and because he didn't admit to it, there wasn't the evidence to actually start charge him with that murder. That's perhaps it.
1: As far yeah, okay. as far
0: as I know. Again, I
1: I don't have a right. lot of details. All right, sorry. Go on. Um. What do I have here? Okay, so that was, what, in 1998 when mm-hmm. the, he got uh, tipped or when the police are tipped off and then he is arrested and he confesses. In March of 2000, McGray was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 25 years for the first-degree murder of Joan Hicks. Okay. While McGray was being transported either to or from the Renew Institution where he was being held uh, to Monkton for a court appearance he started talking and implicated himself in 11 other murders 11 yes all between (laughs) yeah okay so since he was 16 is this when his murders restarted i don't know how old he was this was this is 11 murders prior to 1998 wow uh when prompted uh what prompted this outburst was mcgray's desire to cut a deal He would give police details about other murders he committed in exchange for immunity for himself and his accomplices and treatment for what he called his demons. He was going to receive psychiatric treatment or sorry, a psychiatric evaluation, uh, regardless of whether he talked or not. uh, But neither the police nor the Crown are really willing to deal with him. Right. So the psychiatric treatment would be for what? Well, I think probably anybody like, who commits homicide probably gets some kind of psychiatric evaluation. I don't know about that, um, but he was going to anyway. What I what I read was that he was going to get an evaluation, regardless okay. of whether or not he wanted one. Right. And he did want one, and he, so he claimed <laughs> at one point. And, and anyway, he claimed With- that he had demons that drove him to murder. Right. Is this
0: him also kind of pleading the insanity so that he can?
1: Well, that's what I thought it. the first time I read this, but that doesn't ever really go anywhere. Oh, so it never really came to fruition? Well, like what happens is he defense? does he does get he has like this 60-day intensive evaluation, and it turns he's diagnosed with an extreme form of Tourette's. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why he feels these, this compulsion to kill. Right. And he says, he always claims that he has this drive or this urge to kill, and he can't fight it um, and so doctors believe that that's his Tourette's huh. and I guess he referred to for whatever reason he called it his demons
0: okay yeah well, all right. so there you go I mean I can't really
1: argue that I mean, yeah. I'm not an expert <laughs> or a psychiatrist so
0: I'll just have to
1: go with it yeah I... um so even though nobody wants to deal with him he keeps talking and he admits to killing two men in Montreal he says these murders took place in 1991. And at that time, there was a rash of murders in the gay community in Montreal. But police didn't believe McGray's claims that he was involved because he was in a prison at the time. But as McGray explains, he was let out on a three day pass on Good Friday in 1991. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so he made himself pretty busy then. <laughs> McGray traveled to Montreal and he checked into a halfway house, which was a condition of his release. He then hit up a gay bar, and he either picked up or was picked up by Robert Asselay. They went back to Robert's place, where McGray fell asleep on the couch. The next morning, he grabbed a knife from the kitchen and went into the bedroom. There, knife in hand, he asked Robert to lie down on the floor, and when Robert laughed him off, he hit him with a lamp and stabbed him a bunch of times in the chest and throat. A week went by before Robert was found.
0: Oh, that's terrible. I know, it's
1: awful. And you know, it's like one of my fears is like dying, dying and no and one finding my
0: body for weeks. Oh, I think about that. And it's that. not even because like I don't, I think of my remains being, you know, just left there. It's more because like no one thought of me for a week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, that's terrible. It like, plays upon my insecurities <laughs> as a human being. I'm like, nobody wanted to even see me or think it was weird that I didn't call. Like, it's <laughs> just uh, <laughs> a single
1: woman living alone, alone.
0: Yeah. i'm like at least my dog would howl or something i'm hoping yeah like and the dog would be the only indicator but otherwise yeah, something's gone that's wrong. why i got a dog just to find just, my body just, <laughs>
1: just for that reason <laughs> my god so within 24 hours of killing robert mcgray was out looking for another victim and he found gaetan etier in another gay bar Lit, I invited McGray to his place to drink and watch hockey. Uh, That's so French Canadian. I know. <laughs> and McGray passes out. Uh, the next morning, or oh, sorry, not McGray, sorry, Gaetan passes passes out on the couch while mm-hmm. they're watching hockey. The next morning, McGray smashes his head with the beer bottle and starts stabbing him. Gaetan fought back uh, and tried to get to the phone, but McGray cut the phone line killed Gaetan, and left the apartment. He then leaves Montreal altogether, violating his three-day pass, Mm -hmm. uh, and he's arrested later that same month and promptly returned to jail. Um, Since this bit about the cut phone line was never made public, uh, police then started to believe him about the story of killing these two men in 1991. Um... So, after this Montreal confession, he mm-hmm. keeps talking, and he says he stabbed a dude in 1987.
0: Wow. He really keeps track of his murders, though. Because,
1: <laughs> yeah. like, I don't... I mean, obviously, You don't know what you
0: were doing in 1987? Well, I was seven, so <laughs> I guess I was running track and field. Yeah. <laughs> playing okay. baseball. But um, Yeah, you think about it. I guess it's because his murder is kind of important to him. He, like...
1: Yeah, I think a lot dates. of murderers remember their kills. Yeah. I suppose in the dates when they happened and yeah. so on. I guess it's, it's, it's special for them or something. Special well, this is something else that he talked about. Um, was that he I mean, there's the incident with Joe and Hicks where he was mainlining coke all day long. Um, but normally like to stay sober because then he could better remember his murders right. and recall the details. Right. And that's part of So it's like the he can thrill. and he
0: can relive it and so on. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. You.
1: All right. Yeah. So back in 87, McGray was in St. John, New Brunswick. One night, a taxi driver was stabbed in the hand during a robbery. Three men got into his cab, tried to rob him, and then stabbed him before taking off. In addition to McGray, the two other men in the cab were Mark Gibbons and Norman Warren. After fleeing the cab, uh, Warren couldn't keep up with the other two, leaving Gibbons and McGray alone. Uh, when they stopped to catch their breath, McGray pulled out a knife. And stabbed Gibbons once in the chest and then took off. Uh, Gibbons didn't die right away. Instead, he found his way to a mall where he collapsed and was later found dead by a security guard. Oh. The cops didn't know what You're happened. Kind of like and hoping
0: that he would make it there for a yeah, second. No, <laughs> nope, nope, didn't
1: make it, unfortunately. Right. So the cops didn't know what happened with this guy, um, but they were working the case and eventually. Uh, Oh no! Sorry, they're working the case. Uh, meanwhile, McGray and Warren are back at their place and uh, with their girlfriends, and McGray gets one of the women to clean off a bloody knife he's been carrying around with him.
0: <laughs>
1: Someone came over to my house and I was like, uh, "Excuse me, can you?" Uh, Do you mind can, washing can this? washing this, and it's like bloody knife. <laughs> bloody <It's> just... knife. <laughs> So here's the axe that goes with it. like it just seems <laughs> well, a little, they're like mm. all strung out and stuff, you know. and no. I guess they're kind of afraid of him. Anyway, yeah, well, that would is, be more the case. yeah, but, All right. Okay. okay. so I think this is probably like maybe the next day the police get a phone call asking after Mark Gibbons Where is he? Mm-hmm. What happened to him? The cops trace the call to the apartment where McCray and Warren are staying. They barge in and these two guys make a run for it. But they're like caught right away and hauled in for questioning about the Gibbons murder. Uh, At this point, McGray has only done time for theft and isn't known to be a violent offender. But Warren is a violent criminal uh, and the cops like him for the murder. And McGray does everything he can to put the blame on Warren, including forcing the girlfriends to agree with his statements about Warren killing Gibbons. Wow. So he's quite persuasive then. Yes. Yeah. Like uh, it's also their fear or charm, right? It's, it's fear. Yeah. I don't think I don't think this guy's very charming. Okay.
0: Well, you never know. Like if some psychopaths are well, most psychopaths are extremely yeah. charming, but I don't know if this guy's necessarily a
1: psychopath. No, I don't think so. Uh, Warren is arrested for the murder. He's tried and found not guilty. Hmm. Uh, but both men are found guilty of attempted murder for the caddy. Uh, and McGray gets a five-year sentence. So McGray sort of comes out with his confession about killing this guy. Um, So the cops re-interview all these old girlfriends, uh, and they find out that McGray is, in fact, telling the truth, and they charge him with Gibbon's murder. Uh, So why did McGray kill him? Well, he was pissed off about the taxi robbery and that it didn't go as planned, uh, what with Gibbon stabbing the driver in the hand and all. (laughs) But he also just didn't like the guy. All right. And when he met him, he's like, I don't like him going to do something to him i just don't know what or then, when exactly. or when and then the opportunity arose for him to stab him in the chest and he took it right yeah um so <laughs> all of this all of these confessions and subsequent murder charges happened while he was awaiting trial for killing joan hicks hmm. um and he wasn't just talking to the cops he was talking to reporters telling them about his urge to kill those would be the demons right uh, the paper's labeled him a serial killer but it didn't really fit i guess with what we imagine a serial killer to be because yeah cuz you want like an
0: m.o. and like trophies and exactly. like all that type of stuff yeah yeah he
1: doesn't doesn't have any of that stuff his no. victims were male and female younger and older different MO, like different methods of well he's he stabbed most of them but he did strangle he Joan, did, right he did yeah so he didn't really have a telltale signature or as you say like no m.o. necessarily yeah um and the way he put it and as i mentioned he was driven by a need to kill and didn't matter to him who he killed just as long as he murdered somebody
0: right which yeah is a little bit sometimes serial killers like stalk and plan out things for months and months and months they're usually fairly meticulous he's not as meticulous yeah right
1: um well like with these two guys in montreal he definitely wanted to kill someone yeah but Um, it's opportunity as well right uh, yeah absolutely and he knew that he could find victims Mm -hmm. in a gay bar right yeah okay um so i've completely lost my place (laughs) okay um it's during one of these interviews with the press that a reporter asks him about his first murder and he says his first was a teenage girl near digby nova scotia Uh, the police there have this cold case dating back to 1985 and it's for a woman named gail tucker who disappeared while on her way to work not having enough change for the bus she decided she would thumb a ride McGray says he and another man picked her up in their truck, and when she refused to give them oral, they dragged her from the truck and killed her. The oral sex, I'm assuming. Oral sex, right. yes.
0: So, I'm just what? clarifying. What? what would it be? Like an oral, oral speech, oral <laughs> arguments. <laughs> like I don't know. I'm just. I'm just clarifying. <laughs> My God, woman, you're not very erudite. She's just going to have to murder you. The police... <laughs> oh,
1: my God, you're horrible.
0: Just, I'm not as horrible as the person who just murdered them. That's true. Come That's on. That's true.
1: <clears throat> uh, the police don't believe this story, about they're being uh, an accomplice. Right. And they charge McGray with Gail's murder. Uh, McGray ultimately pleads ga- guilty to Gail's murder, along with the murders of Mark Gibbons, Robert Astley, Gaetan Etier, and Joan Hicks. Um, but still not for Nina Hicks. And remember, there was that stay of prosecution. Yep. So the Hicks family wrote to the Crown to have the stay of prosecution lifted for Nina's murder. uh, And McGray was charged with, and then eventually did plead guilty to the murder of Nina Hicks. Uh, Okay, so if you're keeping score, that's six murders. But wait, (laughs) there's more. Oh, geez. (laughs) McGray claims to have murdered a third victim in Montreal to have killed and buried a drunk man in High Park, in Toronto, and to have killed a sex worker and a gay man in Seattle in the mid '90s. Now, when all this was going down with the confessions and the subsequent murder charges, McGray was being held at Renew or Renews.
0: It just seems like it's like all too easy to just murder people for this guy, like in the sense, but also just get away with it.
1: Well, again, because he doesn't—he's he's just, just murdering for drifter, strangers. Yeah, and he's a drifter. And, yeah, an opportunist. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly.
0: I get it. Just it's uh, it's just eerie.
1: <laughs> So, as a, yeah, so he's being held at Renous while he's awaiting trial and confessing to killing all of these people, and he is very upfront about killing somebody while on the inside, a guard, another inmate, whoever. Again, he just he's oh. gonna he wants to kill someone and he's gonna do it. Uh, and after a meeting with his lawyer, the guards found a shiv hidden up McGray's sleeve.
0: When Wait, they, so did
1: the lawyer give them the shiv? When they asked him about it. McGray said he was going to kill his lawyer, and the only reason he didn't was because they weren't alone during their meeting. Oh. <laughs> yeah. What is that, what was, the, was that lawyer like, oh, yeah. The lose lawyer, lose client? <laughs> he's like, because the, the lawyer is the one who tells that story,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he's just kind of, he's sort of incredulous, like, I can't believe this guy. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so McGray has moved around a little bit. Right. Um, And he's been transferred from one institution to another uh, and eventually ended up out west. In 2010, he was transferred from the maximum security Kent institution to the medium security mountain institution. At Kent, inmates had single occupancy cells. At mountain, the cells are double occupancy. Oh, that doesn't seem like a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) And McGray applied for this transfer. Um, he wanted to kill someone again well no probably. but he kept refusing when he found <clears> out <throat> that he would have a cellmate he didn't want a cellmate oh he wanted the transfer but not the cellmate No, oh, weird uh when the transfer finally did happen mcgray was housed with a man named jeremy phillips on november 21st 2010 mcgray tied up phillips with strips of torn bed sheets, beat him up crammed a sock down his throat and strangled him Phillips lay dead in his cell for hours before McGray called for the guards. needs a dog. He said Phillips wanted to stage a hostage-taking, but nobody believes this because Phillips was up for parole in a few weeks. Oh. An internal review conducted by the Correctional Service of Canada found that Phillips was afraid of McGray and had begged to be put into another cell. Prison officials insisted that it was safe to house the men together.
0: Wow. That was, um, was that kind of like neglect on their behalf for wanting to do the paperwork or was it i don't know or was it like an honest like man should be fine i don't i i don't
1: know you'd like like to believe the penal system but at the same time it seems a little it's like (laughs) come on man and the thing is like everybody in the penal system is afraid of this guy and he threatened his fucking lawyer and he
0: like (laughs) (laughs) or he wanted to kill his lawyer he wanted to kill his lawyer a little different sorry and like
1: guards are afraid of him inmates are afraid of him when people find out he's getting God, transferred to their institution like, they like, don't want
0: him like it terrifies like what's this guy like to meet like he's like, like i don't know like immediately you're like i have to go over there <laughs> like just,
1: <laughs> yeah like that yeah. like crazy just, intensity just keep, uh. it's like a wide everyone keeps like a 10 meter yeah. <laughs> anyway um mm. gray now Cause, cause
0: these are people <laughs> dealing also with like kind of like, a lot of intimidating and scary people. Yeah,
1: and if they're afraid and of this, And if they're afraid of this guy. Fuck, right? <laughs> Shit. So, <laughs> he'll, well, you'll be pleased to know, he now resides in saint anne des Plaines, a supermax in Quebec. Oh,
0: okay. Good.
1: And that is the story of Michael McGray. Okay, so you
0: have something about his sentences.
1: So, yeah, this came up when I was um, reading about all of these confessions uh, and eventually and pleading guilty to all of these murders. And I guess it's like maybe one of the reasons why he just kept pleading kept admitting to and then pleading guilty to these murders is that he was his sentences would be concurrent mm-hmm. uh and not consecutive. So like a life um a life sentence in Canada is 25 years before parole. Uh But he would get... So those 25 years would all be served at the same time as opposed to 25 and then another 25 and then another 25 and on and on and on down the line.
0: Yeah. So it's the concurrent sentencing. So it
1: was concurrent sentencing. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I did a little research on concurrent sentencing. Okay. And so prior to 2011, it was the case that criminals would often serve concurrent sentences for different crimes. But they had to be different crimes. So if you were indeed... Murdering someone or assaulting someone, and at the same time, it was like assault and robbery. Mm-hmm. Uh, your sentences would be served. So y- that would be your two crimes would be served. So it would be like one was for robbery, one was for assault. And so it would be added on essentially. But then if you were, uh or sorry, that could be served at the same time. But if there was a different sentence, or sorry, that could be served. <laughs> Let me get slow this. down. Yep. Back it up. All right, back it up. <laughs> if you committed two different charges, in the same crime, so assault
1: and okay. robbery. Okay. Well, let's. Okay. Assault on. is one crime
0: <laughs> and robbery is
1: the other. Right. So let's say I rob a bank. Yes. <clears throat> and I shoot somebody. Yes. While yeah. robbing the bank. Right. Those are two different you get charges. Charged,
0: you get two different charges that you serve. Like you, so basically the judge will say for five years for assault, five years for the robbery, which isn't equal in any means, but whatever. <laughs> I'm not a judge, so I it's was, a good thing I'm I not a judge. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> pretty lenient. So there. you serve ten years. Ten years. Okay. But at the same time, if I have uh, robbed someone else on at a different date and time that has nothing to do, do with it. that crime, I can serve the sentence at the same time as I serve the other one. Okay. And I'm not really sure about the severity and where that comes in concurrent sentences and like how exactly. But that's just kind of your basics of concurrent sentences. Right. Okay. Well, the problem was is that a lot of victims complained because they didn't feel like justice was being met.
1: Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, because
0: they're like, Well, this guy murdered ten people and he only has to serve twenty five years, years and then he can get parole. Like yeah. that's bullshit. Kinda side with the victims a little on this. No,
1: he should get two hundred and fifty. So yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> so
1: And uh, medical science should prolong his life so that he can serve all two hundred and fifty years. And this years. is and this is
0: exactly what happens with uh I was about to say McGarry, McGray. See, um, de- <laughs> it's because you put it in my brain. So on December second, two thousand eleven, the Protecting Canadians by Ending Multiple Murders Act, oh my goodness, <laughs> was enacted. <laughs> wow, yeah. The act ensured that individuals uh, who committed multiple murders served their parole ineligibility for a period consecutively. So you can have so basically, and recently, um, so this is a good example of this. Was recently the uh mounty like three mounties were shot mm-hmm. um up in I in think it was Alberta Alberta. I'm just gonna look this up for a second see if my internet works
1: properly. Well because there was there was a shooting out east, I think no, in New Brunswick, where a guy shot a bunch of mounties. It nope, it's Alberta the one that okay.
0: So um so Douglas Garland was convicted on February 16th of so three counts of first degree murder for the deaths of a Calvary couple. Um, so that's one of the later ones, but the one that really counted was the one for the three Mounties that were murdered in Alberta. Um, and so it was the harshest sentence in recent Canadian history. Uh, it was Christian Bork's sentence in 2014 and it was 75 consecutive years. So it was three back to back without parole. Okay. Wow. So this is... It's actually all up to the judge, though, so people can still do concurrent sentencing. Oh. it just depends on the judge and their ruling, right? But the thing is, the judge is uh, if the victims request, they the judge has to mandatorily write a reason why they're serving concurrent sentences. Makes
1: sense. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so that's that's where that comes in from a historical perspective. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So again, like, so you have the. Uh, I don't know if we're ever going to cover this one. The Three Counts of, of First-Degree Murder for the Death of Calgary Couple. Do you remember that one that was recent? So it's Alan it and the, Kathleen Likes in their five-year-old grandson, the, yeah, Nathan, them, and yeah. there's a huge hunt for them, I remember, yeah. on the news for ages. Yeah. And that one also is going to be uh, for um, a 75-year Right, because that
1: trial ago. just ended. Yes. This is pretty recent.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Justice Gates and handing down a sentence of 75 years without possibility of parole. Called the murders Cunning and Cruel. Yeah. So... Um. Yeah. So there's like that. So now you're not so lucky if you're doing multiple murders right. to think that you can serve them all for 25 years.
1: Oh my God. Just FYI. Good to know. Yeah.
0: So there you go. There's your Canadian law component. Wonderful. No problem.
1: Do you Do you have any updates for us on Canadian law? Um, not about concurrent
0: sentencing. Just in I, general. <laughs> uh If you want your strange Canadian fact of the day. So, I was telling Rachel that you know, if she found herself in this situation, she could be in jail for up to 14 years. <laughs> so and it's, curious to
1: know. And is. it's a
0: serious situation. She said, if I do it, could I, could we, like, could we make a, a show of right. me going to jail? And Rachel I was like, if you jail. did this, you would definitely make a show of it. Because in Canada, the Queen's peace is so important that there's a separate section of the Criminal Code, Section 49, that states it is prohibited to intentionally alarm or frighten the Queen. That, that <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) That, too, is a serious indictable offense that could result in a prison sentence up to 14 years. Oh, my God. So you scare the queen (laughs) in Canada, you're fucking going to jail for 14 years, but a
1: rapist can get, like, 10. Oh, my God. (laughs) Holy crap. How would yep. I even get close? enough? first of all, she's like everybody's scramble. Maybe grandma. They'd release the doves too close, like are I don't, I don't, don't no. the queen. I just wow! So, Section Forty Nine of the
0: Criminal Code. Good for the to know. Queen, all right, but... I'll
1: cancel that practical joke I've got going. Yeah, I... <laughs> the next
0: time the queen comes to visit, <laughs> just. Just saying. <laughs> I don't know. In England, it might even be a thing in England where you can scare the queen and it's fine. But in Canada, you cannot. You
1: absolutely cannot scare the queen. No. The monarch is sacred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have any interesting uh, um, crimes of the day? Uh, yeah. Some, like, I guess, weird, weird crime news. Uh, <laughs> a guy in Montreal was issued a ticket for, essentially, it's like a disturbing the peace. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing, because I think what it says on the ticket was for screaming or yelling in public, which you can't do. Yeah. <laughs> but what he was actually doing was singing very loudly in his car. <laughs> and he's like, he's driving down the street. Oh, who and hasn't he' hasn't done that? He is rocking out to CNC Music Factory. That is amazing. <laughs> screaming the lyrics at the top of his lungs. <laughs> and the police surround him, and they're like, what's going on? <laughs> and they issue him a ticket for like I don't know 100 bucks or something along those lines for yelling (coughs) when in fact he was just singing very loudly oh he's himself
0: do not rock out in my car in Montreal or just (laughs) do it quietly
1: I guess um you can't rock out in your car quietly I know it's something you have to but this must have been the windows this must have been really loud was he in like did he roll down his windows no he says he had his windows rolled most of the way up so I guess, like, there was a little crack. Anyway, it had to have been loud if the cops showed up. Wow. He's contesting the ticket. He's waiting for a date in court. Please um, tell me he sings in court. Please don't mean he sings in court. <laughs> I know. It hasn't <laughs> happened yet. But, like, the punchline to the story was that he told his wife, and she's like, I wouldn't have given you a ticket for $300. <laughs> 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 I don't think he's a very good singer.
0: <laughs> oh, that's probably why they thought he was screaming. <laughs> nice. Yep. Nice. Well, that's all I have for.
1: That's all I got. That's all I got. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Hope yeah, you learned you. something today about scaring the queen or and murdering people. S- murdering people, singing too loudly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So stay safe. Yeah. Sing quietly. Sing quietly.
0: <laughs>